I love to see people surprised at how many different species are actually in the desert because a lot of people think of deserts as sort of just dry wastelands when they're actually really, really rich in biodiversity. Welcome to the Field Notes podcast. You just heard from Erin Musgrave, GIS manager of the Desert Botanical Garden. In this episode, we talk with Erin about how GIS and Esri field apps are used for conservation and garden management. Hi everyone. Today, Demaya and I are sitting down with Erin Musgrave, who works in GIS for the Desert Botanical Garden in Phoenix, Arizona. Erin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So we've been doing a lot of reading about the Desert Botanical Garden. We thought it, it was such an interesting place and it covers so much ground and has so many visitors every year. Um, and we're really interested in the work that you do related to, to GIS. So maybe to get going, you could just talk about your role, what the garden is, and kind of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the GIS manager here at the garden, and the Desert Botanical Garden is considered a living museum. Uh, so we actually house over 50,000 plants here on our about 140 acres, um, which represents over 4,000 different species. So the garden was started back in 1939, um, originally by like a little conservation group of citizens who wanted to save the desert. So uh, we try to continue that legacy. And can you talk a little bit about what the importance of a desert ecosystem is? I've been to botanical gardens that have had desert components, but it's cool to see a botanical garden that's kind of devoted entirely to desert plants. I love to see people surprised at how many different species are actually in the desert, because a lot of people think of deserts as sort of just dry wastelands when they're actually really, really rich in biodiversity. Um, so we're here in the Sonoran Desert, uh, which covers, you know, some of Mexico, most of Arizona, a little bit of California. And we have some really unique species here. Uh, one you guys might recognize is the saguaro. Um, and we have so many others that are really, really important here um, that were used by a lot of indigenous cultures to the area. And they're really important for, for crops and all of the native uh, flora and fauna works together to, to make up what is the unique desert. Very cool. I think something you said about people just having this perspective of what the desert is. I mean, looking through the photos uh, on your site, I was just like, surprised at like how luscious and green everything yeah, was and how colorful diverse. everything was. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think the Sonoran Desert is actually considered one of the lusher deserts. And we have that um, biannual rainfall pattern, which means we get two big spurts of rain throughout the year. Um, so that's kind of unique too. Interesting. So you mentioned 4,000 species. Did I hear that right? Of plants? Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of plants. And that kind of factors into kind of your role, right, with GIS is, is kind of how do you maintain that and keep keep track of all of that, especially through location. So maybe at a high level, how do you incorporate GIS into your work um, and what benefits has GIS brought to, to your workflows? Yeah, exactly. Um, so my main job and my main role is keeping track of all the plants and making sure that they're mapped um essentially mapping our, our living database and living collection uh so we use field maps here daily um at the garden to edit the map to make sure it matches what's on the ground um which as you can imagine is just a herculean task yeah so, yeah 
I feel like I could use a map of just my house plants, even though there's only like eight of them. Like sometimes I forget to water those. So like I feel like <laughs> like thinking about like just managing like an entire garden yeah. worth of them, that's like an insane amount of data to keep track of. Um oh, I also yeah. really love how you how it is how you describe it as a museum too, of like each of those plants being like a different artifact almost in that museum. Speaking of Herculean tasks, you mentioned just keeping track of plants with on a daily basis. Can you talk a little bit about like how you got this map up and running? I can only imagine how much of a of a task that was kind of um, having that in the process of collecting and knowing where everything was and getting that onto a GIS database. Can you talk a little about that process? Yeah, uh, so I am fairly new to the garden. I've only been here just under two years, but my predecessor, she was really the first one to start using Esri products at the garden. And she worked here for about 10 years and undertook the whole process of creating a custom base map and essentially mapping what is what we have now, the current database of plants, which we maintain and update. But she made sure we went out and got, you know, the locations of almost every single plant at the garden. So, and it, it took a long time. I, I don't have all the details on that, but I'm sure she could she could tell you. Um, but yeah, it took a long time. We had a lot of volunteer work too. And I believe we talked about this too, but uh, or like in one of our intro calls, we used some high accuracy receivers for that work because I imagine with the plants so close together, you'd want to be really accurate in the location of each one. Yeah, we actually were lucky enough to purchase some um, bad elf uh, flex receivers in the last couple of years. Um, and some of our cactus are like very very small a couple you know inches tall maybe um so differentiating those from others on the ground can be really tricky so using the battle flex we're able to get you know that sub centimeter accuracy that lets us really keep track of of points and differentiate them from from the others uh which is very very helpful and i forgot to mention too our living collection here is not just for viewing it's actually a research database collection. So all of the GIS points that we map connect back to our living collections database, um, which we refer to as LCMS, the Living Collections Management System. And it actually has a lot more data on the plants about, you know, their history, where they came from. We can input genetic data if we run, you know, tests on them here, or if we have collaborators uh, doing studies on them. So uh, it all connects back. So there's a whole a lot of history on each of these plants, um, which we refer to, refer to them if they have that history as a session. So I guess speaking of that collection process, could you kind of walk us through what is the process of collecting data when you're using field maps and what type of data are you collecting? You kind of mentioned research, but I'm wondering, are there other types of information that you're hoping to gain when you're kind of using field maps um, to collect data on different plants? Yeah, so in the garden, if I'm going out on a daily basis to um, map new plants that have been planted, our horticulture team is working, you know, day in, day out to upkeep and manage the garden collection, um, keeping it healthy and, and happy. And they do end up planting a lot of new plants throughout the week. And so we have a new system now where they are able to edit field maps and add, um, we refer to them as pins. Um, so they add a pin to the map and let me know that there's a new plant that's been planted there and they can fill in some details. And then, you know, I open field maps and see these new pins 
and I can go to those locations with my receiver and actually add the plants to the map. Um, because one of the things we actually have to do to keep the re whole research database safe is limit access to the actual plants um, layers. And so by giving horticulture access to additional layers that they can use to edit the map and add pins, um, it helps one keep that plant data really, really safe, but also giving them the flexibility to let us know that something has changed on the map. So that's one of our really, really critical workflows. I think that, you know, we always hear about a lot of different reasons why it's important to to make sure we have data integrity, right? But I feel like here it's extremely important because this data is being used for research, right? And you can't just have, you know, mm -hmm. everybody like accidentally editing or something because this is being used for, for kind of that higher purpose. So I was wondering if you could go into like what type of research is, is done or any kind of ways that this data is used. So our data is is sampled a lot for like DNA research um, and plants are a little bit tricky when it comes to that. I've heard it's not my my wheelhouse, <laughs> but um, we're asked by people all over the world if they can come and sample our collection for, you know, their research purposes. So it, it could range from anything from they want to do tissue culture or, you know, some sort of DNA analysis. Has this data or the use of GIS inspired other projects um, at the gardens outside of just research? Yeah, we actually use the GIS for a lot of other other purposes at the garden too. Um, we use it now for uh, managing construction projects. Um, it helps us, you know, visualize construction area boundaries, and we also map all of our utilities underground lines. Um, using the GIS too. So it gives us a good visualization of what utility lines run through those construction areas. Um, and also the development department here at the garden uses it to um, some for some asset tracking. Uh, they map like if someone purchases a, a memorial bench or something for a loved one, um, we actually mark that on the map as well so that they can have a a visual for that if someone comes to the garden and wants to see their their loved one's bench or you know whatever it happens to be it's cool to see how like gis is being used to kind of visualize the garden on different levels just at the plant level which is kind of like the basis of what a garden is but also on other things like utilities or markers for different things so it's cool to see kind of the diversity of use yeah it's i mean one it's just an amazing way to track assets i mean i know that's not maybe its original function but it works really well for that for us. And I'm curious, do you keep all of this in one map or do you use different maps for different purposes or does it help to just keep them all together and toggle layers on and off or, or what does that look like? Yeah, I think we have it split into about 20 different maps at this point, wow. um, each with their individual custom layers, um, even just for like our construction projects. We have construction projects, field maps, um, that are for internal use. So those ones maybe are editable with additional layers for marking, you know, temporary flag points or, you know, areas that we need to take a look at. Um, and then we also, I created a separate app for external use, you know, which is no editing and maybe a little bit less information provided for security reasons uh, right. for external vendors and contractors. But yeah, we have a lot of maps that we use. <laughs> we, yeah. It's much to, to split it into a, a different map typically for us based on team or or use. I am curious 
and maybe this is the non-answer and then we'll leave this one out. Um, but with regards to the horticulture map, aside from research, do you find that people who visit the gardens use that to identify plants that they want to go see or just as like a learning opportunity? Or is it really more of like a outside research type of uh, purpose? Yeah, the horticulture map right now um, is specifically just for internal use. Okay. Um, oh, okay. That's horticulture team primarily uses that one. It's got, you know, layers that are very specific to their workflows regarding maybe irrigation work orders, um, adding new plants to the map, removing plants from the map, that sort of thing. Um, but I know there's been a lot of interest in the past in creating a public facing application where guests and visitors could could come in and see the collection uh, as we see it. So I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. And I wonder if like you could use like, you know, either story maps or experience builder or something like that. I'm not sure how much uh, experience you have with those apps, but just as a way to kind of display that information in a more consumable way than just, you know, a web map. Yeah. Yeah. And those would have, you know, a URL that could be shared publicly too, which would be great. Right. Yeah, we talked a little bit about kind of the specificity of collecting plant data and also your process. So I was wondering if you had any advice for listeners or other people out there who are hoping to implement GIS, mobile GIS into their projects, like if you had any advice for them? I mean, I think it depends where you're starting, but if your first place is like, how do we implement any GIS? Um, I'd say just get your, your leadership on board, um, show them the value of GIS and show them the value of being able to, to view a map out where you are um, that shows the things around you. <laughs> I think it's, it's so underratedly helpful. Um, but once you have them on board, supporting, you know, supporting the users really well, listening to them, getting feedback on what they need and what they want and what could be useful. I mean, I think that's honestly my favorite part of my job is I just get to work with people and, and help them, um, <laughs> help them do their jobs, you know, yeah. efficiently, um, and being able to see the data in a, a whole new way. Definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's been like a common thing that we've heard from other um, users is that, you know, getting that first line of support as a foundation for everything else you do afterwards is kind of essential and really makes a difference in terms of like how much you can do and what you can implement. So, yeah. And there's always someone out there doing something kind of similar to, um, I should add, I, I'm in a community for APGA, which is a garden association. And there's so many people using GIS and there's, you know, a really good community, probably for whatever field you're coming from. So don't be afraid to reach out and try and try and find out what other people are doing. So are there any ways that you use GIS outside of the garden? Yeah, we actually have uh, researchers that go out into the field all the time. Um, they're usually collecting seeds or, or leaf samples. Um, and they often come to me to ask if we can set up a field map for their field sites, um, which comes in really handy because we can pre-fill that with, you know, data that they have of the species otherwise where maybe they're going to find a specific point or they just need a map showing the boundaries of an area. Um, number one, it helps them navigate in the area, which is really great. Um, and it even works in really remote places too when we can set it up with an offline capability. So um, we found that it's really helpful. Yeah, I can imagine that like the offline areas and everything is like super important. And it, it is for like a lot of the people that we talk to. 
Yeah, yeah. Typically, they're going out into pretty remote areas. Um, you know, we sent some out into New Mexico and the Grand Canyon just recently, and yeah, the offline map is just is just really great. And so, when they're going out, what what are they collecting exactly? Specifically, you said seed samples. Is that to bring back yeah. or? Yeah, we actually have a, a seed bank here, and we do grow a lot of seeds yeah. out. Um, nice. This is all collected with permits, and they, you know. They plan these trips way in advance, and so um, they make sure that they can go when the the plants are flowering and seeding, so that they can use those seeds later. I mean, are these seeds that are are going to be planted into in the garden, or ones that are kept for research purposes, or both? Yeah, we end up planting some of them in the, in the garden. Um, and actually, a really cool project that's happening is with the sclerocactus. Um, our researchers went to New Mexico and uh, collected tissue samples too. And we're actually propagating entire uh, individuals using like a seed propagation uh, or a tissue propagation technique. I wonder too if people like, have you seen anybody using like 3D at all GIS? Like the thought just occurred to me how cool that would be to be able to like, like have that 3D rendering of, of the plants. You know, I don't know specifically, but that would be really cool. I know with LiDAR, that's got to yeah. be, you yeah. know some being done somewhere I think that'd be really incredible um you know I think maybe even the Huntington Garden had something something like that so well if folks want to learn more about the desert botanical garden Erin where should they go where should they learn more about what y'all are doing yeah you can check out our website it's uh, dbg.org easy enough and we can definitely link that in the show notes as well all right I think that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for joining us, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Field Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Field Notes on your favorite podcast streaming platform and make sure to join us on the next episode.